morning. Doing all right? Thanks for coming out in the heat. I don't, I'm not, I don't blame you though. Come where air conditioning is. Thank God for AC. Can we just, can we just collectively, like it's good to be in church today. It's always good to be in church, but today especially. In fact, if we'd not had air conditioning, I promise you, we would not have had church. <laughs> for some of you that offends you, like God's with me on that one. You know what I'm saying? Hell is a hot place. We got no business being there. <laughs> That's my biblical reference. Um, hope you're doing well. I'm Billy. Uh, one of the pastors here, and we're just glad that you came to church today, and uh, it's going to be a great day. In fact, we don't have church next Sunday, just as a reminder, it's July 4th, so get out, and it won't be as hot, so go out to the lake or be with friends and family. And then on July 11th, we also don't have church because the Hilton is booked for some kind of convention, so we'll be back in two Sundays. So if you're like, hey, how do I keep in touch with that? You can always just check social media or you can text 116 join us to the number 94,000 and we'll give you a weekly reminder letting you know when church is happening and when it's not and so once we get our own building which is coming soon then we'll just be able to you'll know when church always is and we won't have to play the choose your own adventure game but for now it's kind of fun I hope you're doing well. Hey, um, hey, there, this Wednesday, if you're a high school student or you're a parent of a high school student or you know a high school student, um, Jen and I are having a barbecue at our house with a great group of leaders, a bunch of student leaders that are just some of my favorite people in the world. But we're going to have a barbecue at our house this Wednesday for high school students. So um, feel free to join us. I'm going to be cooking up an enormous amount of meat. And uh, it's kind of my gift. So don't, you know. It's a spiritual gift. <laughs> Wiley, you get it. Donald gets it. Maybe we'll have Donald. Donald, maybe join me. We'll just cook up. Did you cook for your whole neighborhood last night, Donald? Your entire neighborhood. Bring back the block parties, man. God, you're so awesome. Now, that's a pastor. I don't care what you say. That's a real pastor. Um, so uh, if you have a high school student or you're a high school student, join us. And we'll, we'll, we'll barbecue. We'll play cornhole. It won't be as hot as it is today and tomorrow. And then we'll, um, we'll Jen and I are going to talk a little bit and we'll answer some questions they might have. It'll be a lot of fun. Sound good? Feeling all right? Did you put on your deodorant this morning? <laughs> Come on, man. Mints and deodorant. Those are just necessities in life. Especially, <laughs> especially in the summer. Let's just be kind to one another and wear deodorant and <laughs> eat mints. Hey, last Sunday was Father's Day, and I, um, it's kind of an unofficial series. It's not a series, but last Sunday I, I preached out of my favorite passage of Scripture. It was, uh, it was Joseph's life, and honestly, I said it before I spoke it. it was, it's the passage that over the last decade has given me the most guidance, most inspiration, kind of helped me through seasons of life. And this Sunday, I want to preach um, the most favorite sermon I've ever preached. Now, before I... Before I go any further, you're like, well, you're going to preach your own favorite sermon? Yeah. So I was talking to my daughter. She's 16. She's in the back today helping run stuff. She's amazing. And we were kind of breaking down the math. And I've been, I've been, I've been preaching since I was 20. So 24 years as a preacher. Now, I'm not a preacher. I'm a pastor. And you need to know that if you're a part of 116 Church. There is a difference. I have nothing against preachers. I like to talk. Um, but I'm a pastor before I'm a preacher. So, um, and that happened probably six years into being a pastor. For the first six years, I would get up on a stage and I would preach a masterpiece. Like it's, it, was, it was entertainment. I was entertaining. I was pontificating. I was, you know. And then my dad died and I went through hell. And God brought me through hell. And it changed me. And when I started to preach after that, it was now just me kind of looking at scripture and being encouraged myself and then getting up on a stage and sharing that with people. So that's so just so you know, if you ever come 
to church and I'm speaking, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not performing. I'm not a professional preacher. I'm just simply sharing with you what God has said to me. It's, it's helping me. It's helping me get through life. It's helping me through the depression. It's helping me break the addiction. And so I'm just, as a pastor, I'm just going to communicate that to you. And hopefully that helps you because the, because the word of God helps us all. Um, so after 24 years, Serenity and I did the math, probably 940 something sermons that I have preached. 900, it was, it was pushing a thousand if you include like conferences and stuff. So almost a thousand, which is mind boggling to me. I can't even imagine that. So, and I can honestly say, if I have preached a thousand sermons, I don't know if it's a thousand, but let's say it's 800, 900. If I have preached 800 something sermons, um, the one I want to share with you this morning has by far without question been the one that has impacted me personally the most you said your own message yeah yeah because when i'm preaching this is the bible and it's the only thing that reads us as we read it and it encourages me just as much as it encourages you so i would i would love to share that with you this morning so if you have a bible go with me to one place book of john chapter 8 book of john chapter 8 no pressure for myself i just told you this is the best sermon i've ever preached in my entire life and it's my favorite so um, hopefully we live up to it um, I know it's going to encourage you. It encourages me just, just getting ready for it. John chapter 8. This is a familiar passage in Scripture. It's great. Thank you, worship team. Hey, it's great to have KK. KK's first time on the drums. Thanks, man. <laughs> Killed it. They're going to come back, and we're going we're gonna to worship again, and it'll be, it'll be really good. And then we will get out of here and find air conditioning somewhere. I'm, we're blessed. We have AC, so party at my house. <laughs> Show up. You can find this place on the floor tonight. We'll just all sleep around. Wait, what? No. <laughs> delete that for me, guys. We'll just all sleep around. No, we won't do that at all. Just go to delete that. <laughs> Bad way to start off my favorite sermon ever. John chapter eight. Um, this is Jesus. And this will give us the context. This is the woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. And if you've read scripture, you've probably heard this story. And this is in John chapter eight. I'll start in verse two. It says, at dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women, such women. Look at, the, look at the language here. Such women. Um, the law also commanded to stone the man too. So my question to these guys is, where's the guy? They brought the woman. Because he, he also was doing the deed. But All right, so the law commands us to stone. There's so much judgment here. Such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, and I think he probably said that with quite an attitude. Like I just can picture Jesus like, like his muscles just you know, ripping in the sunlight. You know, He just looks up at him. His hands are dirty because he knows how to get dirty. And he's like, if any one of you, you know, like, I wish it was accusatory. It wasn't because he's Jesus. He's so kind. But if any one of you is without a single sin, then you throw the first stone at her. Again, he stooped down. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. I'm going to pause here for a second. Do you hear what, it, what the scripture says? She's still standing. 
And she's been through a bit. That day she's been through a bit, God knows what she's been through in her life. But scripture says she's still standing. That's important to note. Uh, With God, we can go through extremely difficult times and you'll find us still standing. Go through the divorce, still standing. Go through the bankruptcy, still standing. Struggling with addiction, I'm here, I'm at church, still standing. It is important to note and remind ourselves that with God, no matter what we go through, the woman was there still standing. And Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She answered, no one, sir. Then Jesus said, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. And when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This woman is caught, maybe even set up, caught in the act of adultery. And she is, she is ripped from her house and taken to a public square. Now, she made a mistake. She's in this public square. And in this public square, they are shaming her publicly. Um, she's there exposed for people to judge her and to cast judgment on her. And she's moments away f- from being stoned to death for her failure. And that escalated quick, didn't it? Like that just, that went from like, oh, shouldn't have done that to now there's a good chance you're going to be publicly executed for your failure. I like to talk on the subject for just a few minutes. Legends of the fall. Legends of the fall. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this moment. Thank you that you're here. I thank you that you you see us and you know us. Would you speak to me and through me, Lord, as we come to you in this place? Lord, I thank you that your word says we're two or more gathered together than you're there with them, Lord. Pray that you would do what only you can do. Lord, separate what is your spirit and what is the intents of our hearts, God. Help us to see you in everything. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Speaking of terrible failures, uh, I once cursed out my mom. (laughs) For some of you, not a big deal. If you grew up like I grew up in a church home, that's, uh, it's the equivalent of selling your soul to the devil. Now I was, I was 10 years old, so I was a bad kid and we didn't curse. Well, we, well, my parents didn't know we cursed. We did curse. I grew up in Baltimore and Chicago. And so if you don't curse, you're going to get beat up. So we cursed, but mom and dad didn't know we cursed. And I'll never forget. I can't remember exactly what happened, but my mom had, she had punished me and she had sent me to my room and she had told me on the way to my room, you'll wait till your father gets home. Now, um, I'm not going to make excuses for what I did. I don't even remember what I did. I'm sure it was bad. But there's a, there's a certain level of cruelty when you send a child to their room and say, wait for your dad to get home. Like, that's almost borderline child abuse, um, especially when you're talking about my father. Now, I've, I've talked about my dad before, but my dad was, well, he was a good man, but he wasn't always a good man. He was in the Vietnam War. He was special forces in the Vietnam War. He's the guy that I once asked, dad, did you ever kill a man? And he got real mad. He said, Billy, there's a difference between murdering and killing. I've never murdered a man, which I thought, not an answer. (laughs) Kind of scary. My dad was just this kind of like very bigger than life kind of, and he'd always made the statements. It would be six years. I was about 10 years old. So when I was 16, I would tell my mom to shut up. Another bad mistake. And my dad would grab me and throw me against a wall. I was taller than my father. And still my feet could barely touch the ground because he was lifting me, pushing me through the wall. And he looked at me with fire eyes. And he said, boy, that's not your mother. That's my wife. (laughs) So my dad made it personal. It wasn't just like you were disrespectful. It's personal with my dad. And so when my mom said to me, 
go to your room and wait for your father to come home. It was, uh, it just, I snapped. And I remember getting in the room, the door shut, and I just, I launched into a barrage of profanities. I mean, it was, it was a tapestry of just horrific and like hand motions. And I just, you know, I was just weaving together all of these things. And I was just literally, I don't know if you've ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight, but that's what I was doing right there in my room in Chicago at 10 years of age. And I was just letting it go. And I had no idea that my mom was standing just outside the door. I didn't know she was there as I was cursing her with everything in my soul. And I'm about halfway through. I got both hands in the air. Just, I mean, I'm just having fun with it now. And she opens the door right in the middle of it. I think both middle fingers were extended and, I'm, and I freeze. And she goes, interesting. I'll make sure your dad hears about this too. And then she slams the door, right? I honestly, I fell to my knees. Like I fell to my knees. I thought to myself, I'm dead. Like I already was dead. Dad was already going to be mad. But now like I just cursed out not my mom, his wife. And so they say when you're close to death, your senses are heightened. And I found that to be true. Like I could, the temperature dropped. It dropped in the room. I must have been like 15 degrees colder. Um, I could hear things just with such keen accuracy, like children laughing far, far away. <laughs> they were not near where I was. Like hours, like felt like days, minutes felt like hours. I mean, the day just, it just wind on. And I remember like thinking like, what can I say? What can I say? Like, you know, how am I going to, what's going to be my, my like, how am I going to appeal to my father? Like, what am I going to do? And it, I'd come to the conclusion, like, there's, there's nothing I can say. There's nothing I can do. She caught me in the middle of the act. Like I was caught, like she saw me doing it. She heard me doing it. And so I'm sitting there and I'll never forget. It was probably about 6 PM. I had been in my room for about four hours and I heard the car my dad, he drove like a green station wagon and I heard it like around the driveway because we had a gravel driveway and you could hear, and again, your senses are, you could hear like the, the gravel being displaced. You know, you could hear the, the engine humming like, and I remember just like, like my heart's beating and then he got to the driveway and he stopped and he turned off the car. He was walking to the house. I could hear everything those are like the keys he threw them in the bowl and I remember like they started to talk he's like (laughs) (laughs) and I thought I thought for a moment I was like what if my mom like has mercy because I've seen the Christmas you see the Christmas carol right like the Christmas story right remember where she doesn't tell about Ralphie and so I'm like what if she doesn't and so I'm like I'm listening to this intensely and I can't really hear and he's like hur, hur, and she's like she's like I'm like oh god and I swear I can hear him like coming up our wood stairs like boom 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 these are coming across the carpet and then he gets right to my door and I know he's there because I could hear him breathing like <sighs> I'm just like oh. and he he opens the door he's like Billy is what your mother just told me is that true son now listen the answer is yes <laughs> but I'm in a bad way and so I'm like no no it's not and I panicked I panicked it's not. And so he, I'll never forget his follow-up question. Here's my dad. He shuts the door now, which is not a good sign. <laughs> Did he lock it? I don't know. He like, shuts the door and he's like, so what you're telling me is your mother, he didn't say this, but it was implied, my wife 
is, is a liar. And I, I don't remember exactly how I said it, but it was kind of like, well, I, I, don't, I don't think she lies all the time. But in this particular instance, yes, right? And I'll never forget. Now, I don't know what you believe about this and to each his own, but my father would discipline us by spanking us on the behind. Never hit me, never abused me, but he would, he would spank us on the behind. And so I had, I had known that this was going to happen, and so I had prepared, and I had put on every pair of underwear that I owned. And I'll never forget when I was, like, getting ready, you know, and he's like, all right. And, he's, and so he says to me, he goes, Billy, are you wearing more than one pair of underwear? And again, like, at any point, I could do right. I could like stop lying, stop cursing, and then, you know, just like throw myself at the mercy of my father. But I'm like, um, um, and I, I mean, I must have had a two foot rear. I had everything on. I don't know what I was thinking. I was 10. And so I'm like, I'm like, uh, no, I mean, I've probably gained a little weight lately. <laughs> True story. And so I don't want to talk about what happened after that. It was, it was, it was kind of a blur. And then, so we got done and I remember, here's the thing I remember most about the whole day. I remember it all. But the thing I remember the most was dinner, family dinner that night. And I remember my dad calling up and I was like, Billy, come down for dinner. And I remember thinking like, come down for dinner. Like, I thought I would never eat again. I thought like I've been shunned, you know. And I walked down gingerly, you know. And I remember getting there and he's like, all right. And he's like, uh, pass the meatloaf. And we just, and I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, how was everyone's day? And I got six brothers and sisters. And I remember it as vividly. It was like, nothing ever happened. Done. Move on. That's what, that's what it was. And I remember that impacted me more than all, all it was just like, we're good. Like you did wrong. We dealt with it. I'm moving on. Passed the meatloaf. And we just kind of had, and I remember by the time dinner was over, I was like, okay, all right. So uh, that was, that was awful. And I'll, it'll always haunt me the rest of my life, but it's over. Like, and I'm so glad that my dad refused to allow my failure to define me. Or even to define that period of my life. He just, and I don't know how he did it, call it Christ-like, call it doing his best to be a good dad. He wasn't a perfect father. I think he swung a little hard, you know, that night. But anyway, he refused to allow my failure to determine my future. When I read John 8, that's what Jesus did. He's making a point in John 8. That's what he does in front of these men who think they're better than her, in front of this woman who's made a mistake and is guilty and is by no means innocent. He's making a point that my forgiveness is greater than your failure. That's the whole point of it, by the way. That's what he was doing. It doesn't take away from the fact that it was wrong. It doesn't take away from the fact that she, she broke up a marriage, that she slept with someone's daddy, that she did a wrong thing, that who knows how many times. It doesn't take away from the fact that she's guilty as charged. He's simply saying, your failure is not bigger than my forgiveness. That's the point that Jesus is making in John chapter 8. And I want to take his response, and I want to break it down into three kind of like sections. First of all, he says, neither do I condemn you. Then he says, go now. And then he says, leave your life of sin. I mean, these three truths that we get from Scripture, it's life-changing. Neither do I condemn you. Go now. And leave your life of sin. This is, this is what Jesus says. This is all he says in this whole conversation. The first thing that Jesus says. Neither do I condemn you. He could. If there's anyone on the planet that has the power and the authority to condemn us for sin. It's God. He could be like, I condemn you. And no one could argue with him. Some would argue that he should have. But he doesn't. That's because... Grace is first. It's the first thing Jesus says. The first thing out of his mouth. Not, okay, before I make my judgment, 
let's just, let's have a conversation, which is what we do. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. And so we, we learned to Christian interrogate people in sin. So uh, is this the first time that you've done this or is there more? Okay. And how many other people? Okay. And are you sorry? And if I'm like, yes, I'm sorry. Why are you sorry? <laughs> like, like we do this whole thing. Jesus doesn't do any of that with her. The first thing out of his mouth to an adulterous woman, this is it. Is anyone here condemned you? You know, the guys that I scared off. She's like, no one. He's like, neither do I condemn you. In life, in scripture, grace is always first. Ephesians 2.10. Let me read it real quick and they can throw it up there. It says this. This is, this is kind of, in scripture, we call this the divine order. It says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourself. It is a gift of God. Notice that. It is by grace you are saved through faith. So we have grace, faith. Not by works so that no one can boast. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Did you catch it? So it is, it is grace, faith, good works. That's the divine order. That's in scripture. Um, one of the ways I like to remember is you belong, you believe, you behave. That's the divine order. It's always that way with Jesus. If you go through the, the gospels and through scripture, you're going to see that. First you belong, then you believe, then you behave. A lot of times though, the way I grew up in church and maybe the way you grew up in church, if you grew up in church or maybe your, your false presumption is this more of like being a follower of Jesus is more of like behavior modification, right? Like I, I'm, I'm gonna get, so for us unintentionally, here was, here was the message we were sent growing up in church. First you behave, then you believe, and then you belong. What it means, like, behave. Like, when you come into church, like, get your, present yourself. I can't be wearing shorts and jeans to church. What are you wearing, a vest in 100-degree weather? What's wrong with you? <laughs> like, um, you can't be cursing. Like, stop, stop hanging out with those people. Stop dating her. Stop doing that. Stop drinking that. Stop listening to that. Stop going there. It's like, get your act together to present yourself acceptable to church. And then, once you've done that, pull up your pants, take off your hat, raise your hands, say your prayers. Then now you're in a place where Jesus will listen and you can say, Lord, if you, if you find it to forgive me and now you can have faith. And once you've behaved and then, and then, and then confessed and believe, now you can be part of our little circle and you belong now in church, but don't mess up. Don't mess up though. Cause if you mess up, we're going to, might have to, might have to push you back out. That's not the Bible. That's, you'll never find that in scripture. That's not the order. Grace is always first. And that's what Jesus is doing. That's why he says that first thing. He's making a point. He's making a bigger point than adultery being sin. That's true, by the way. But Jesus is making a bigger point. It amazes me how we allow sin to become the major in our life when grace is actually the more major point. Do you know that? That's what we do. It's, it's, I do it all the time. It's human nature. I let little things that aren't as big, and I make those the big things. Women shouldn't preach in church. First, you're wrong. Secondly, not a big thing in light of grace, salvation, redemption, Jesus, the, right? Um, we, shouldn't, we, should, we should sprinkle and we shouldn't dunk. Like, what are we even talking about? Who cares? Those are little things, not big, but we take the little things, and that becomes everything. That becomes everything. That's not, that's, Jesus is making a point. He's like, stop, stop looking at your sin and start looking at your Savior. Since when did sin become bigger than the Savior? Oh, I was a youth pastor for 10 years, and I literally 
just became immune to hearing questions from students. And I love you, students, middle school students. And uh, the grace to be a youth pastor left a long time ago. But for 10 years, I did it. And middle school students would ask questions that don't need to be answered. They don't have answers. And I just wanted to say to them all the time, like, you're missing the point. Like, they'd come, hey, Pastor Billy, if a word's misspelled in a dictionary, how do we even know? And I'm going to be like, we don't, man. It just doesn't matter. He's like, well, okay, why do they say slow down and slow up? And it means the same thing. I don't know, Johnny. Why is fat chance and slim chance the same? I'm Johnny, I don't know. Stop talking to me, man. Honestly. I swear to God, if you say one more word. Uh, Pastor Billy, why is the word phonics not spelt the way it sounds? Valid point. <laughs> Honestly, I should have thought that one through. Why do we sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game when we're already there? You know, I, I remember being like, Ah, you're missing a point in life, you know? And here's the thing when it comes to God and following Jesus. His forgiveness is the main point. Honestly, if you take that out of the equation, what are we even doing? This is a country club. This is a bad country club, in fact. Like, we don't even have food being served right now. Like, this is just kind of like we're getting together. But forgiveness is what brings me, like, I, I can't live my life without Jesus because God knows I need grace and mercy. I need forgiveness. I need to know there's hope in spite of one. And that's what Jesus is doing. He is reminding us of what is first and most important. He says to her, I don't condemn you. Let it ring in your ears today, no matter what you've done, how many times you've done it, how more you'll do it in the future. Jesus says, I don't condemn you. And then he says this, go now. I want to stop right there. Now I'm breaking up the sentence into three parts, but I'm just going to take my liberty. Go now. Can I translate that for us? What Jesus is saying to this woman who is literally in the act, caught in the act, she's, she's guilty. I still have a plan for you right now. Now this is life-changing if you could catch this. He is saying to this woman who has just been found out in her mistake, I have a plan for you and that plan is in effect right now. He doesn't say, go, once you kind of figure this out, we're going to get you into a class, going to get you into a program. I'm, I'm all for classes and programs and all that kind of stuff and recovery. Amen. But do you understand? Jesus doesn't put his plan on pause because we made a mistake. He's God. He's like, go now. Not, not when you make amends, not when you've paid penance, not when you've said 300 Hail Marys and I don't even know what those are and kissed the rosary beads or not, not when you've walked through the hoops and you've done the spiritual routine. Not when, no, 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 no. Go now. Well you, well, you don't know what I've done, Billy. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, you don't, you don't know what I've done. But don't I, though? Don't I? Don't we all? Don't we all have skeletons in our closet? I mean, don't we? I mean, you could act like you don't. Maybe you're 12 in here and you don't have them yet. I, had, I started mine at 10, by the way, cursing out mom. Like, I mean, don't we all have things that we would say if you really pushed us? Like, I don't. Man, I know God forgives, but like, to forgive me of of all of this. No, no, no. Jesus says, go now. And he says it through all scripture. Remember Peter? Remember when Peter rebuked God and God called Peter the devil? It's bad for anyone to call you the devil, but when God calls you the devil, you might just be the devil. He calls Peter the devil. He says, get behind me, Satan. You know what he'd go on to do? Use Peter to build the church. Remember Paul? Paul the apostle, before he was Paul, was Saul. He tortured murdered and persecuted followers of Jesus. He was the anti to everything Jesus was doing. Jesus got a hold of him and God used Paul to write two thirds of the New Testament. God used Paul to do that. Remember David, King David? 
The Bible called David a man after God's own heart. You know what he did? He broke all the Ten Commandments in one crazy weekend. Yeah, just went crazy, broke them all. And God called that man a man after his own heart. You don't think God can forgive you? Remember Rahab? Rahab is in scripture. She was a prostitute. That's what Rahab was. And she found Jesus and she followed Jesus and she would end up marrying into the lineage of Jesus. So when you read scripture and Rahab's name comes up, she is a family member of Jesus. She went from prostitute to hanging out at the family cookout with God, right? Don't tell me that God can't forgive anything that we do. So Jesus says, go now. Let me take it a little deeper just for a second. I'm going to break it up. He goes, go now and leave. I want to put, put a period there just for a second. I know it's not in the scripture, but I want to, just for a thought process. Go now and leave. Do you know that sometimes the way we go into the plan of God is leaving the plan of man? Did you know that? Sometimes the only way for you to go into the plan of God for your life is to leave the plan you had for yourself. Go now and leave. And if you don't know what the plan is, if you're in here and you're like, I don't even know what God's plan is for me. We'll start by eliminating what you know it's not. I, that sometimes I don't know what the purpose of God is. Well, why don't you start? And not, this is me. I live my life through this process of elimination. Here's what I know it's not. So not that, not that. Start to narrow down what the plan of God is. for And don't be bothered by people that are doing things that you've chosen not to do. Don't let that bother you because you left it, but they're still doing it. And you're like, oh, I could do it, but I chose not to do it because they're not going to the places that you're going. So just remind yourself of that as you watch. You're like, man, I could, they're doing it. I mean, I just, but you've decided like, no, to follow God, to go where God's called me. I'm going to leave this. And then you see other people that seem to be going where God's calling them, but they're not doing it. Well, their story isn't your story and don't let it bother you because maybe you're going where they're not going. I told my son the other night, I was like, the grace on your life, don't apologize for it. You're like, well, I, he goes, I, just, I don't know, man, maybe the standard's too high. I go, maybe it's not. Maybe the calling's so high, the standard has to match it. So sometimes for us to go with God, we have to leave where we are. Why would God use me? This is the question. Like, well, okay, so God says, go now, leave your life of sin. Why, why would God ever want to use me? Go with me to verse seven, read this. Look what Jesus does. He, I love this in verse 7 of John 8. He levels the playing field. He levels the playing field. Here's what he says. He says, he says to these religious leaders of the day, so these would be pastors. I'm ashamed to say, but these would be maybe my contemporaries. They wouldn't be my contemporaries. Just so you know, I'd punch them in the throat. Jordan and I, I'd show up. We would hurt them. But uh, they're tip, supposedly, I would, I would be in this crowd. There'd be pastors and leaders and the priests of the day. And these are the ones that are throwing this woman down. And look what Jesus says to him. He says, when they kept on questioning, he says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first one to throw a stone. You know what Jesus does? He levels the playing field right there. So not only does he save this woman, stick up for this woman, forgive this woman, but he refuses to allow the religious elite to separate her and single her out. Because that's what religion does. Religion will sin behind closed doors and then call you out publicly for doing it. That's what religion does. That's what religion does. That's not Christianity. That's not Jesus. And that's certainly not God. But that's what religion does. It's like, how? How dare you? Yet, they dare to do it themselves. That's religion. No, no, no. That's, 
Jesus is literally, he's like, any one of you who's never done wrong, and I always wonder, and people talk about this a lot, what was he writing in the sand? We'll never know. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask, I'm pretty sure he's writing down what they did wrong. So he's like, Donovan, (laughs) is there a Donovan in here? Let me come up with the name. Terry, um, I'll go with Reginald. I doubt we have a Reginald. Reginald uh, stole money from his mother who is ill. You know what I'm saying? And I think the Bible says the oldest to the youngest begin to leave. Oldest first because the oldest are the smartest. They're like, hold up. He's good. Okay, I'm out of here. Right? No, no, there's not a single one of us. Who hasn't done wrong? That's why when I say, like, when I come up here and I preach, like, oh, pastor's preaching to us. And that is not the culture we have, by the way. Oh, pastor, oh, man of God, woman of God. Oh, no, no, no. We're just saved by grace like anybody else. That's what makes Jesus so compelling. He can forgive you and he can forgive me. Jesus doesn't just save her. He gives her value. He forgives her of her failure. And he affirms her of her value when he said to those men, hey, if you're without sin, then... So all of a sudden, it's not just her alone, guilty, because she is. She is guilty. She's curled up. She's covering herself. She's been caught in the act. Everyone's pointing at her. Everyone's throw rocks at her. And they've singled her out. And Jesus says, hold on, hold on. And he affirms her value and says, hey, if you're not just like her, then you go ahead and do it. And all of them leave. Can you imagine that? No wonder she was still standing there because she's reminded by Jesus like oh I actually do have value and it's founded on Jesus Jesus affirms her and then he says this leave your life of sin neither do I condemn you it's grace go now in fact to believe that you can and have the courage to do it takes faith and then he says, leave your life of sin. This, is, this would be, if we were summing it up, good works. Leave. But it's less, it's not just a directive as much as is Jesus giving her permission. Can you look at it that way for a second in scripture? Yes, Jesus is telling her like, hey, stop doing what you're doing. But it's more. If you even read the original context of this verse, it is him giving her permission to walk away from that which has held her bondage. That's, he's like, Because of me, I'm actually giving you permission to leave this life that you feel so trapped by that you feel you can't get out of. Go now, leave your life. It's less of him telling her what she has to do and more of of him informing her of what he has already done. How can she leave her life of sin? Because Jesus already defeated sin. So he made a way for her to be able to walk away from it. I can't leave sin if there's not something bigger to go to. As a youth pastor, I used to say to students all the time, like, you can't just quit smoking weed. You can't just quit doing drugs. You can't just quit doing wrong things. Like for me just to get up and be like, just say no. It doesn't actually work. You can't say no to sin until you have found something bigger to say yes to. That's what Jesus is presenting her with. He's like, hey, I actually have a better way for you. Like you can actually, you don't have to live this way. I don't know what happened to you. What made you feel this is how it had to be. I don't know who hurt you. And so now this is what you do. This become a habit or it's become a routine or you're reacting. But you can actually leave your life of sin. What Jesus does far supersedes what you and I could ever do. Do you remember when Peter walked on water? Remember that passage in scripture? Peter walked on water. It's famous. 
Peter's famous for doing it. The book of Matthew shares that passage, Matthew 14, and it says that Peter walked on water. Jesus came in a storm, and they were all scared. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And he's like Russell Crowe. He's like, if it's you, tell me to come in the wind. And Jesus says, come. And he comes, and he walks on water, right? It's amazing. Do you know the same thing happens in Mark, the gospel of Mark, but it's not recorded? Did you know that? Will you guys put it up there? Look at this, Mark. This is the exact same story. Exact same story. Jesus walks on water. And it says, but when they saw him, Jesus walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out for fear. And because they all saw him and were terrified, immediately he spoke to them. He said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now stop. Okay, it's all right. Oh, don't look. Don't breathe. Now at this point, Matthew, this is when Peter says, for the Lord, if it's you, command me. And, you know, and Jesus says, come. It is awesome. But look at Mark. And it says, then Jesus climbed into the boat with them. The wind died down. They were completely amazed. Just skips it. I have to ask myself, like, why did, and that happens sometimes in the Gospels, but why did Matthew talk about it? Because it's awesome. It's one of my favorite things in all of the scripture, Peter walking on water. It's so awesome. But Mark doesn't. Do you know that Mark wasn't there? Mark's not a disciple. Mark is an evangelist, commissioned to write this book in the Bible. But do you know who was dictating to Mark, the book of Mark? Do you know who the eyewitness account was? Peter. Did you know that? Peter wrote the book of Mark with Mark. Mark wrote it. Mark penned it on the inspiration, but Peter dictated to him, here's what happened. So what Mark is writing is what Peter is telling him. Why didn't Peter tell Mark about the moment where he was the only human in the world to walk on water? Oh, I, this, this, this kind of things they like, they go around my mind like, Pete, why would you not put that in there, man? Like you, you're like, Lord, I shall come. And then you got out and you did it. Peter admits it. I think the reason is because Peter understands that what he does pales in comparison to what Jesus does. You notice when Peter walked on water, and maybe if Peter could talk, and I can't put words in his mouth, but this is just my speculation. Peter's like, you know, when I stepped out and walked on water, the storm still raged on. In fact, it raged so hard that I, eventually I sank and Jesus had to save me. But when Jesus climbed into the boat, the storm stopped. So why don't we just put, and Jesus got in the boat and the storm stopped. Because what Jesus does for us is so much more significant than what we do or don't do for him. What Jesus does far supersedes what you and I do. Jesus said, leave your life of sin because he was giving our permission. He's like, what I have done for you, now you can go. And then he also was saying what he has for, for her is better than what she picked for herself. And man, that's true for all of us, isn't it? That's true for me. Like I've had roads that I've been like, this seems pretty good and I'm gonna do it. And then I realized like what Jesus had, you know, we always say God is good. You know, God is not just good, he's even better. Like God wants good for you, but he wants more than good for you. He wants even better than what you could have ever hoped for or imagined. That's what God wants for you. And what he's saying to us is like, please, please understand me. Leave this. I have something so much better for you. You think there's like some pleasure in this or some meaning in this or some value in this. And what I'm trying to tell you is that what I have for you is better. Remember that picture that went around social media? It was Jesus. He was holding like a life-size teddy bear behind his back. And there's a little girl and she's got like a little raggedy teddy bear and he has his hand. He's asking for her teddy bear. And she doesn't know, but he's got like the best teddy bear. And she says, but I love it. Like 
that's because she's like, but I don't, I don't want to give it up because I love it. her little raggedy, broken down little teddy bear. She's like, but I love it. It's like, I feel like that's what Jesus is saying. So I'm like, I know you think what you have is good and I know you think you love it, but if you only knew how much better I have for you. I think sometimes people live in just good when they could live in so much better. That's why Jesus said, leave leave your life of, not even sin, leave your life of settling, leave your life of halfway, leave your life of compromise, leave your life of maybe this is good as it'll ever get, leave your life of maybe this is, maybe this is all I can do and that's what they told me I could do and that's what society says. He's like, leave that life. What I have for you is so much better. So I don't condemn you. I still have a plan for you. And you can be free because I said you could be free. I'm inviting you to live this life, which is so much greater. But what if you're like me and you fall so far from grace that you can't see a way out? Six years after I would curse my mom out, I would be 17 and we would be driving from Chicago to South Carolina for football recruiting weekend and I would lose control of the car somewhere in Indiana on a highway going 95 miles an hour and we would, we would crash and my, my mom would be thrown from the window. I don't remember it. I just remember waking up and I was wrapped around a guardrail and my car was demolished and I could see through the broken rearview mirror my mom face down in the middle of an interstate uh, and it's all I knew, all I could tell was that she was dead. And I remember them, the, the helicopter landing, and it was a blur. And uh, I remember screaming, screaming hysterically, somebody help my mom. Somebody help my mom. There's a trucker came by. He's like, just stay put, don't move. And I couldn't move. I was penned, and they had to get the jaws of life to cut me out. And I remember the helicopter, they lifelined my mom to a hospital in Indiana. And, and, and they drove me. And I remember getting there, I was in the ER, and there was this person screaming, just screaming so much pain it sounded like a man I would later find out it was my mom some nurse told me I was like who's the person can you move me like it's it's affecting me like there it's too much pain he's like that's your mother I don't I don't know why he said it that way thanks man I don't know why he said it that way <laughs> and um and I remember thinking like what if I what if I killed my, no one hit me no car came and messed. It was, I just lost control. I just lost control of it. I was 17. I wasn't paying attention. I just, I bounced us. And I'll never forget, they did tests on me. And so miraculously, I was okay. And I'm, I'm going to the, the hotel where they keep you in the hospital. And this nurse was walking me. And she said, and I was like, hey, how is my mom? How's my mom? And they said, it's touch and go. And to, to be honest with you, I don't know that she's going to make it. And we're going to let you know. Your dad's on his way from Chicago. He'll be here tonight. And then she shut the door and I was alone in that hotel room. <laughs> and when I say darkness set in, again, here I am waiting for my dad to come home. But this time, I didn't curse out his wife. I may have killed her. <laughs> and I remember just being in that room. <laughs> How do you say sorry? for killing someone's wife how do you even begin to apologize 
And I just sat there. And I'll never forget, I, I remember the door, it, the handle opened, and it was, I mean, it flashed back to when I was 10. And there's my dad standing in the door. And he walks in. And I, honestly, I thought he, maybe he would just unload on me. And I, I kind of wish he would and just kind of put me out of my misery. God knows I deserved it. I'll never forget. He said, son, stand up. And I was like, here we go. <laughs> you know, I've had this coming. And I stood up. And he wrapped his arms around me. And he cried with me. He said, I love you. And I am not mad at you. <laughs> Which is insane to believe that he would not be mad at me. Um, I was mad at myself. I didn't think I deserved any grace there. And I don't know how my dad did it. And he certainly wasn't a perfect man. But somehow in that moment, he was able to be like Jesus. And can you please hear me when I tell you that is what Jesus is saying to you. I love you. And I'm not mad at you. Yeah, but Lord, I, 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 deserve, I, I, I have some retribution. No, 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 no. I don't condemn you. Go now. It's okay. There's life beyond this point. It would take a few years for my mom to recover, and she would. Thank God. And my dad, by the grace of God, he never brought it up. Never brought it up in the way that, like, I'm the one who was like, I did that to mom. But my dad would, no. He's like, no. No, no, I love you. You're my son. I'm so glad you're okay. And it just, it changed the way I lived my life. That's what God does. I'll prove it to you. Ephesians chapter 3, 19. And I'll close with this. It says, how deeply intimate and far-reaching is God's love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love that pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Do you know that God is not interested in the legends of the fall? We make sin so big. We take our mistakes and our failures and we just put them in this category of legend and lore. And God did not come to hear about the legends of your fall. He came to help you and I get back up. That's why he came. He's not interested. And all that you did wrong and all that I've done wrong, he, he came so I could get back up. And then he goes on, and, this, and Paul says this, that's what he was telling this woman, that's what Paul continues to say in Ephesians 3.20. He says, never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all of this. He will achieve infinitely more than, you, than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Another verse says, constantly gives hope. <laughs> this is what God does. This is, this is the story of the gospel. And you'll see it played out through the pages of history. God's forgiveness is bigger than my failure. He still has a plan for you. And it's even better than you could have ever imagined. I pray that you remember that as you go throughout your week. Lord, right now, since you're in this place, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Lord, I, there's no doubt that there's, there's people in this room that have done wrong things, experienced wrong things, have been stuck, hurt, failed. And Lord, I thank you that, Lord, we could see you in the midst of all of it. I know that you have a plan in the midst and your love, it is unquenchable. 
Thank you for doing exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or hope for or dream or even imagine, which is forgiving us and loving us and using us, giving us joy when we didn't think there'd ever be joy again. I'm so grateful, so grateful that we could be in this place, that we could read your word and it could give us life. With every eye closed, every head bowed, if you're in here right now, I'll give you opportunity to say, I don't know Jesus. I'm going to put my faith in him. The Bible makes it very clear whoever calls on the name of the Lord. Believe in your heart and acknowledge Jesus as your Savior. And the Bible says you'll be saved. There is no religious rigmarole. I, I know people do it, but that's not in Scripture. Just simply call on the name of Jesus in your heart. And so I'm going to count to three. And if that's you and you say, Pastor, today I'd like to put my faith in God, a God who loves me in the midst of it all and forgives me no matter what. And I would love to pray for you. And so I get to three. Would you just, wherever you are, every eye closed, would you put your hand up and then put it right back down so I know who I'm praying for? And that'll be between you and God. And today could be the day where the legend of your failure ends. We'll just call it today. Just call it. Now we begin with Jesus. And he's got a great plan for you. He still has a plan for you. So if you're here on the count of three, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? One, two, three, wherever you are. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Anyone else? Put it up, put it right back down. I got you. Put it right back. Anyone else? God, you see, thank you that you, you're here and you know and you've been with us. And in this moment, we confess our need for you. Can't do it on our own. We've tried and we've made a horrible mess of things. And I thank you that your grace is sufficient and your forgiveness is perfect. And it is not ever void. So right now, in this moment, we put our faith in you. We choose to follow you from this day forward. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Lord, we trust you now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we give a round of applause for the people who raised their hands?